0: You are listening to an Art Gallery of Ontario podcast. AGO Talks are recorded live in the gallery and feature artists, writers and curators exploring how art shapes and inspires us. Please visit us online at agionet slash talks. So, some of you know Kim, and for those of you who don't, Kim is currently calling the Bronx her home, um, but originally from Toronto. She's an award-winning multidisciplinary artist, activist, speaker, and educator, and the past year has seen her speak at Princeton and Montreal, Texas, Um, she's an incredibly busy woman. She's also the co-founder and executive director of the People Project, and as a kind of activist educator, a really important voice that we wanted to have. Um, in on this exhibition and extended conversation. So please join me in welcoming her here. Thank you. Sorry, y'all. Okay. I'm gonna do the tour like this because I need my hands and I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Thank you so much. It's so exciting. And it's so exciting for all the people who like reached out and said hi and stuff, too. Um, I really love doing this. I really love having um, a relationship and a conversation with art. Sometimes I feel like when we're in art galleries, it can be really intimidating because, you know, the art seems very serious and important and we should be receiving it in a particular kind of way. And we might not know how. Um, and we might really want to appreciate it, but we might just not understand or have questions or need to have a little bit of guidance, you know? I'm totally one of those people who watches movies and talks through them. I'm like, what's going on? And how is she just going to walk down that hall, you know? Like, I, I, I really appreciate that, you know? And I think there's a time for everything, and so I'll definitely make sure you have time to explore on your own and take your time with the work and have a personal relationship, but um, I'm going to share with you some of my like understandings and perspectives and illuminations around this um, as a queer artist, activist, educator, writer, person in the world. Yeah? Um, I also want you to feel free to ask questions and totally um, know that there's nothing I won't answer. Um, If you ask a question that I think could be Phrased in a way that was more respectful to all sorts of different people, I will totally talk to you about that, but I will never make you feel any type of way about any question that you ask. I want you to ask them. Um, and also, I am um, You know, if anyone knows me, I'm a very techie person, and I love social media, and I love the way that we capture things on social media. So I want you to feel free to take pictures. If you can totally take pictures of me, you can totally tweet. You can totally put things like do it for the vine, y'all. You know, like I love ways that we continue to archive this. And as queer and trans folks, you know, it really is us who does that work. We are doing this magical archiving work of ourselves. Our bodies are important to look at, our stories are important to hear, our ideas are important to listen to and have resonate and reverberate all through the web because we get to be here today and that's an enormous privilege but there are queers all over the world who would love to have the opportunity to walk through a space like this and have these really incredible conversations. So we should share as much as we can of this experience with them um, while we get to be in the space together. Yeah? Cool. Okay. Fan the flames. I love this picture of P.S. and I'm also someone who thinks that I use a gold and silver pen to do everything. I'm like, why do I have to use black? Like, I just want to do other stuff. Um, and I think that one of the things that's really important to me when we think about queerness as an idea is that queerness and transness are all very young as concepts and ideas. Um, but gender diversity and sexual diversity is very old. It's hundreds upon thousands of years old. And we have so many examples of that across the world. We can think about the Hijra in India, um, third gender people, and that has been in existence from well be- before colonization. Now, in southern Mexico, there are the Muxe, um, and they are considered, uh, they're considered an integral part of the community. They're really loved and respected. The idea of queer and trans people not being integrated into society is a really relatively new one. It's a very modern idea to separate us based on gender and sexuality. Ha- even heterosexuality as an idea and a concept is only really as old as the 16th century. Prior to that, we weren't naming it in that way, and it wasn't being enforced as a strategy. So I also think that that's something for us to consider, that like, our legacy is longer and farther back than these ideas. So when we're talking about queerness and the ways that people have moved, queer has come from a word that has meant, has been a painful experience for lots of people, and then has also been reclaimed to represent fluidity in sexuality, but also to talk about culture. Queerness isn't just about a specific experience, it's about the ways that we hold space together and the way that we're making art and the way that we're having politics. That a queering is also a verb. It's also something that is happening to us and we are also talking back to it. And so that's also what's happening here. I don't like to work with definitions, but I like to work with meanings. I like to talk about what something might have meant to someone at a particular period of time, knowing that that changes over time and will be different for different people. So when we talk about queer, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about many different multiple meanings across this entire space and beyond that all exist simultaneously. No one more valid than the other, no one invalidating each other, all necessitating each other, because that is what diversity is. It requires plurality to exist. So the first sorts of pieces you're gonna start seeing are really, I love these ones. They're, for me, they're so sweet. Um, but when I think, when I start thinking about these pieces in particular, you know, when you go back to sort of like 1900s and um, you're, you're not going to see the presence of a lot of folks of color. You're not going to see a lot of indigenous queers represented. And that doesn't mean, and I always want to name that because we have to remember that that doesn't mean we weren't there. It just means that we weren't having pictures taken of us, you know? And I think that we have to remember that even um, club culture, right? Like. In order to be at a bar, it means you have to have money, which means that you have to have some kind of class privilege to be in these places to be having people take your pictures. So when we see these pictures, it's really important to remember and recognize the people who are there, but also remember that this is just one piece of like hundreds of millions of queer and trans bodies who were all existing at that time, who were existing at various different levels of class, of race, of experience, of gender, of age. Many different people were expressing this in many different ways. When we look at these stories, also remember and think about who we don't see. We're not seeing wheelchair users. You know, We're not seeing folks who have um, amputations. We're not necessarily seeing those things but that doesn't mean that we were not there and that doesn't mean that those folks weren't there. So look with a lot of love and look with the remembrance that this is one piece but there are many and there are so many. So Let's, let's walk a little together. This is so nice. I love that we have like a crew. It's like we're rolling so deep. Um, ooh, I wanted to stop here a little bit. So, This piece, I think, is so interesting and so, so cool, and you can listen to it as well. Um, And it's about uh, two artists who renamed themselves uh, Claude Cahoon and Marcel Moore. And I think that something that's really interesting about queer artists and the ways that they work with each other, queer and trans artists, and the ways that they work with each other is that so often when we think about relationships, they're about stability. But queer and trans relationships are so much about the embracement of change. A recognition that you actually have to support and nurture and welcome your partner's transition. We'll start to see that more because as people start to transition through gender and sexual experiences as a queer and trans person you have to know that and like be here for it. The idea of stopping someone in their gender or sexual growth or expression is something that is very antithetical to the kind of art that's being made here and what they did together was you know they dressed each other up and they took pictures back and forth like allowed themselves to play between different expressions of gender and I really think that that alone as a practice is just so radical and fun and cool like how awesome you know I think that as little kids we often are given a very small range where you're allowed to play dress up you know you have maybe until 12 and after that point you really got to start acting like an adult and you're like I'm 12 I still like and I think that you know this is one of the things that I, 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 I want to get people to have a relationship to art about is that you get to play this too You know, you might not get to like dress up as a million different things all out in the world, but you might in your own special place in your house, get to express an art practice like this. Like watch how gender moves through your body in very different ways. See yourself reflected in many different lights and then take pictures of it. You know, and that's the cool thing right now I think in social media. I'm someone who I genuinely do not care at all what's being published in any sort of like Vogue magazine or anything like that. Like I love Instagram and I love how much I get to see so many different people. Like why would I not want to look at all of you as opposed to look at the exact same pictures of the exact same people all the time in every single magazine, you know? And I feel like this, this sort of series is also about that too. It's like a, giving each other permission in the process of partnership to explore different identities over time and that's hot. So, yeah. um, so I wanted to also start to get into some of these really cool pieces. I have a few things to say over here too, but here in particular. Um, queer culture and trans culture and gender fucking culture has so often happened in uh, cabarets. And I also want to think about, um, you know, the ballroom culture in like New York City, you know, like Paris is burning, uh, like the Vogue kind of scene and that sort of stuff. Or um, and we can think about the ways that we create these massive universes where we can be really fabulous. And I think that sometimes people and I have a lot of problem with the term mainstream. I don't really fuck with that idea because this isn't this isn't my subculture. This isn't counterculture. This is my culture. I'm not, this is not something that's like anti-mainstream. I'm not doing it to respond to the mainstream. We're doing it because we think it's hot and fun and we love it, right? And so I love these sorts of expressions because so much of like drag and cabaret performance culture was about saying, even though you tell me I am not allowed to be this person, not only am I gonna do it, I'm gonna go so hard and have music and glitter and fans and stage all about it you know and for me there's like that kind of courageousness in queerness that it's about saying like i get that you think this is so deviant it makes you feel so uncomfortable all those things i'm just going to find a place to do it anyway you know and and i love like i learned so much about femininity from drag queens you know i learned so much about the performance of femininity and a way of recognizing that that performance is valid as an art form that being a fantastic haired like full makeup face is like a skill and something that people actually value and can be important that so often femininity gets posited as being superficial as something that's like oh you know your feminine stuff is the things that you put aside and then you do like the real important heady work Um, and I think about drag queens aren't, and, and particularly drag queens and trans women have been integral for me as an artist um, and as an activist and a writer and an educator to think about wearing a lot of femininity all the time. You know, of, I like to bring cabaret culture on, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on purpose. Like, we're doing this on purpose. You know? And I love that and, I, and, I, and especially when you think about the ballroom culture and you think about like Vogue and all of this sort of stuff that these are cultural phenomenons that ended up being appropriated by like heterosexual mainstream artists and then transported around the world and then our communities didn't end up benefiting from that cultural transformation. So for me, when we think about appropriation, it's not about not wanting to be inspired by other people, but wanting to give credit where credit is deserved. So if we recognize that queer and trans communities have been hotbeds of enormous cultural production for generations, then they should be financially compensated for all the fun you're having. So, I want to also kind of explore a little bit over here too. Um, if we take a peek on the tables here, hi friends, um, and these sorts of pieces. So, one of the themes, you know, is, is reinterpretation. And I think that, you know, As a queer artist myself, I don't believe in the idea of objectivity. I don't think it exists. I think everyone is subjective. I think everyone is bringing their own unique subjectivities to all of the experiences that they're having, and I think we should all just declare what our subjectivities are so we can pull our stories together and layer them on top of each other. And so I know that with that subjectivity that when I look at certain things, I'm bringing a queerness to it. You know? And that's a recognition that that's happening. That whenever we're interacting with any kind of art, art is just as much about expression as it is about interpretation, right? It's just as much about your relationship to the world and how you understand it as it is about what the artist is telling you. Because at the end of the day, you and the artist are meeting in your heart in the moment when you're watching that, right? It's you that's having that relationship. And so all of these pieces, I think, are very much about that. You know, there's like, I think there's a lot of homoeroticism in a lot of a lot of culture. I think about so many hip hop videos that are just like hella gay (laughs) and beautiful. And that's great, you know, and I think that I think that one of the things we often forget is that because queer and trans people are everywhere, that that is also being expressed in the culture everywhere, whether or not people want to acknowledge it. Like that's coming out in art and politics and movies, whether or not you realize it, you know? Like sometimes you just see something and you're like, I know who did that. I know that that was someone who was hella queer, who made that amazing costume slash brilliant piece who said that, you know, like it's in there. So we're looking at this and we're looking for it, but it's also there in a way that is not being acknowledged and expressed. So it's about that interplay between like, we're also asking ourselves to fill in information that we know has been hidden from us. And also we wanna be accountable for the ways that we are projecting our own desires into the art that we're watching. Yeah? All right, let's keep. Let's keep exploring. I'm going to take us into to this sort of room for a little bit, I think. Ooh. I'm going to start here. It's actually really nice. They're just, it's kind of warm. I just want to recommend it to people. Um, so I'm going to keep. I'm going to like sort of again keep sharing stuff, and then I'm going to give you some time to explore the exhibits. And then I'm here if you have a question or an idea or just a thing you want to run by me. I'm, I'm about that life. Um, so in sort of thinking about what we we're talking about in terms of appropriation, I really I. So much of corporate mainstreaming culture appropriates from queerness all the time without giving the credit. And you know, this this cover, the Vanity Fair cover, is considered this very iconic radical cover. And for me, you know, it's actually something that is relatively tame in the context of queerness, right? Like we 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 know this. Like this is we're like we do this. We've done this, you know. Um, but. Uh, in here, we hit, Nina Levitt talks about the cover and talks about when it came out and what it meant and what it looked like and all those sorts of things. And it had this, I think one of the things that 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 sort of mainstream culture ends up having is because they have the capacity to transport an image around the world, right? Like you can, you can Vanity Fair goes places. It goes places and people are going to see that. And so, you know, this is something that is powerful. You know, I, I remember the very first time I saw Melissa Etheridge video and I was like I have so many feelings (laughs) I have so many feelings about this you know like those moments of just acknowledging that desire or this kinship or this thing that you find are so powerful and that can't be understated but again like this is an appropriation from a straight magazine of queer culture that was used as a spectacle you know like this cover is still considered one of the most controversial Vanity Fair covers and there's nothing controversial happening at all like she Cindy Crawford was less than that on a really regular basis. Like there's foam on your face, like nothing not, nothing deep is happening here. But a recognition that so often when we see ourselves reflected in, in magazines and in contexts that are not really about us or made by us, it is more about the spectacle of us. So it's like we do have to make a choice of what that looks like for us. Like how do we decide when we want to do that and when we want to negotiate that? Because sometimes it's super valuable and I would never say it wasn't. And also how do we at the same time make sure that our cultural production is being nurtured in our communities? There we're not looking elsewhere always for someone to represent us but we're actually feeding the artists that we see all around us who are making the art that is making us feel whole and good and sexy and you know and so thinking about that makes me think about this piece over here you have to really get into this one Um, Shauna Dempsey and um, Laurie Mill is is Toronto based and Laurie Millen is Ontario-based. Um, and I don't know if... It's so much. So it says, The Portrait of a Modern Sex Deviant. Okay? So, when you actually kind of get in... You can come a little closer. You don't have to be all afraid of me or this. Um, but you can kind of see some of the things it's saying, and I'll read for folks who aren't there, but dykes are what they're called on the street. And interestingly, dykes are what they call themselves. When greeted with this slur, these big bone gals reply, yeah, so? This is just one example of how homosexuals adopt derogatory slang, perhaps in an attempt to weaken its sting. And, you know, it's intense. And for me, I think one of the things that's intense about that is that so often we are written about. And this is what I was talking about, the idea of objectivity. This is not objective. This is highly subjective. This is someone with a very particular perspective on someone being a modern sex deviant, and who is writing about them as though they are a terrifying like, creature that they are observing in their natural habitat. You know? But the thing is that this person is giving the, the ability to write about it because they are being proposed to be objective. And this person, these people are considered the subjects. So they're not being allowed to speak back and I always had this problem something I struggled with in university all the time because it was like you what happens when the subject that you have under the microscope speaks back you know you've been studying us for all this time but at the same time we've been speaking back and we've been saying things. And so what does it mean that this discourse gets prioritized about us as opposed to the discourses that we create for ourselves? You know, so it's like thinking about the ways that those things get to happen, the way that we own that kind of narrative. Um, And it also reminds me of the, the aggressives. Has anyone seen the aggressives? The aggressives is a really cool documentary you can watch on youtube about masculine of center women living in new york city in the early 2000s and it follows um, an asian east asian american a south asian american an african american and a latino american um, in their processes of like making their way through the world and what's cool about it is it's very much self-authored you know but I, i feel like there are so many important stories to tell about masculine women, you know, and so many important spaces to be created for that conversation. Um, And I do love the term masculine of center for that reason because I, and for those who have never heard that term, uh, masculine of center is a term that was created or coined by uh, Colve of the Brown Boy Project, which is in um, Oakland, California. And it was a way of talking about women who identified really strongly, or people who identified really strongly with masculinity as that being really integral to the person that they are. And it allowed, it was this term that was allowing people to self-identify with masculinity and while simultaneously making room for femininity and or other gendered expressions to exist. Because this is the other thing, and I think that this is something we have to think about in general. Naming sucks. When you name other people, it feels bad. We want to create as much space as possible for people to tell you what they want to be called. And you want to respect them, no matter what that is. So whether that's someone telling you, like, my gender pronoun is Z, and that's a difficult thing, you got to write that down, maybe you need to have a pad of paper with you at all times, but you're going to make it work, because if you can figure out what my name is, and you can keep saying that, you can figure out what this person's gender pronoun is. You know, and I think that we, one of the things we so often lack is the ability to author our own experiences. And we have the capacity to change that relationship with each other. Every time you meet someone and you give them the capacity to author their own experience and name all of the things about themselves that they want you to know, like that's amazing. That's, that is a moment of like artistic liberation and I love those kinds of spaces. So I think in thinking about the ways that so often other people represent us, I would love us to create the space for us to represent ourselves. Let's go, well, let's go this way a little bit. There's so many things. This piece is really, really, really interesting. So you can take a look at the stories in here, um, and they're talking about folks who live their lives as men, in relationships with people, um, with children. And once they had passed, um, the people who were exhuming their bodies decided that based on the genitals that they found, that these people were not men. And I think that, you know, some people might call these folks trans. And I think that some people um, might name them in a whole bunch of different ways. But I think that a lot of these, some of these stories predate any idea of transness, you know, and we have to also recognize that in talking about transness, that identifying as trans means that you get to have access to medical services, right? So like that is part of how trans identity has been constructed within the culture that we exist, that it's tied to a specific kind of access that people Um, if they don't identify as such, will not get. And so it's recognizing that people were living their lives deciding who they were and affirming their genders before they ever had to identify as trans. So even when we push this identity of trans onto people who aren't naming themselves as that, like that as well is something we don't want to do, you know? It's recognizing that people took authority over their gender forever that's been something people have been doing forever saying like that's cute that you think that that's what my gender is but that's not what it is my gender is this and i have always known this or i know this now and i'm going to express it now and so it talks a lot about different stories leading all the way up to um the story of brandon uh, from the movie boys don't cry with hillary, hillary swank and you know i think that it's interesting because i feel like so often when our stories get told they end up benefiting You know like straight folks more than they benefit our communities like when that happened like Hillary Swank got super famous and was like really credible and everyone was like Ooh, you were so edgy and gritty and I love that But like it didn't meant didn't mean that trans folks were any safer as a result of that movie You know, so it's like there's a conversation about what happens with visibility and how that actually translates Into the communities of the people that are being reflected and represented So when we engage in these sorts of stories, we also have to think about what is our responsibility to the community of people around us? If you are someone who is non-trans, like myself, when I read stories like this, I think about like what, what is the space that I am making or I am taking up that is making less safety for other people who are identifying as trans? How often can I challenge the idea every time I see a form that says gender, male or female? Like, can I, I can go up to someone and be like, do you really need to know this information? Like I'm getting a sandwich. Like I don't, you're not gonna make me a lady sandwich. Like let's just scratch this whole line, you know? So I think, I think it's also important for us to think about art in that sort of way. Like, how does it move us to love each other better? How does it move each, us to create more space for more freedom? I think about my art practice as being grounded in liberation. I'm so interested in making more art that make generations after me feel freer and freer. When I meet like 14 year old queers in like glittery Jeffrey Campbell heels and like an amazing short shirt that says like, fuck the patriarchy, and I'm like, you're 14. I couldn't figure out glitter heels until 20, you know? I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited at how, the acronym. You know how sometimes people feel a type of way about like LGBTQ, like I love, I- should, should keep going. Make up a whole new alphabet, why don't you? Like, Let us really embrace diversity and be excited about more. Like, that should be something that for us is a sign of progress. That people are becoming increasingly more connected to the people that they are to identify themselves in more and more and more breath. So this piece is so fun and so interesting and so important to like, get into. Um, let's, let's travel into, the, into this room a little bit. I'll do some of that. How we doing? We good? Cute? Anything else? What does it feel like to be in this room versus in the darker rooms? Anything else? More open? Okay. Because I also think about this, you know, like there's not, I'm not, there's not like a wrong or right answer, but in curating exhibits, we also think about things like, you know, like, that I think darkness brings, right? And I think even the way that people will use dark as like a metaphor for bad stuff, I'm like, darkness is actually probably some of the most awesome things ever. Like the womb, dark, best place ever, (laughs) you know? Like bedtime, dark, best place ever, you know? Like thinking about the warmth and the intimacy that we got to experience in those spaces, and then the brightness as we come into here, there's a very different energy in terms of what we're experiencing. So, okay. I have so many, I feel like I want to talk about everything, but I also don't want to talk about everything because I don't want to fill all of the space, but I have a lot of feelings about this stuff in this room. So, okay, over here. Um, <sighs> Mickalene Thomas is a Brooklyn-based uh, artist, and she does these fabulously queer portraits where she normally takes um, like a, a woman and dresses her in these like really vibrant, amazing fabrics, but then replaces certain parts of the piece with rhinestones. So one of the pieces I saw from her was at an exhibit in um, North Carolina, a 30 Americans exhibit. It was 30 black American artists who were all doing amazing, brilliant things. And the piece that they had it was like as soon as you came into the gallery and it was this beautiful reclined black woman um, with black rhinestones like all up into her thighs all between her legs and all on her nipples and all through the rolls and all of her body and i lost my whole mind <laughs> so Her work is so interesting and as an artist, I think that everyone should really take the time to get into because it's such a a flagrant worship of like really full, delicious bodies and really brown. Thick, textured, crowned hairs—like it's hot, and it's very, it's very excessive. And I think that that's also something that you'll find thematically in terms of a lot of the queer art that happens, like an excessiveness. You know, I think that um, the policing of gender is is in the excessiveness is in response to that or like there's an interplay between that with people being like, there's only one way that you can be gendered, only one way that you can be a good, acceptable, respectable person. Like ideas of professionality and normalcy and all that sort of stuff. Um, You know, like this is not professional. I should not have this microphone in my boobs, but this is the most practical place for it to be. So why not? You know, and I think that queer art is really much about that of like, this feels good for me and it feels good for the people who are watching it. So can we just get our whole life then Um, so really her art and I love like afro goddess with hand between legs (sighs) right see you you have feelings we have feelings about it okay this piece I had when Sophie was talking to me about this piece today I literally got goosebumps and I'm totally getting them again which is so 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 nice so in 2010, Catherine OP was given total access to Elizabeth Taylor's home and possessions. And so these are of her closets, like sections of her closets. OK. And like one, you know, there's the obvious like connection of like queers in the closet and that whole sort of thing. But also, you know, um, I think that queer queerness has made a lot of space for divas. You know, like we, we we like a diva. We really like a good diva. We like a big hair having, high heel, glitter throwing, not giving a fuck kind of girl. You know? And I just thought these were so and while while she was making, while she was, you know, given access to her closet, over the time of this happening, she actually passed. So this, you know, this is I think this in particular also has like a conversation across time too, right? This is like frozen moments of like clothes that were in the process of using of being used and may never be used again but also testaments of like huge moments in time that were probably deeply significant for so many people you know i think so much about also like stonewall stonewall was such a massive civil rights moment for queer and trans communities and queer people and drag queens and trans women of color who were in the bar they were mourning the passing of judy garland you know, that's what was making people sad, and that's why they were really mad that the police came, because they were like, "I'm trying to mourn here, and this is really important. That this process of celebrating and honoring like these divas, you know, these women who like with art and music like sang and danced their asses off. Like this is something that we as a community have re- respected and made a lot of space for. And so, I love these, and I also, you know." I think even when we talk about things like coming out of the closet, um, I think that so often queer and trans communities get met with this like idea around like lying, you know, like you're in the closet if you're not 100% talking about your sexuality all the time, but I'm like straight people aren't doing that all the time, like I don't know why I need to like be carrying the flag or you know, with trans folks, like having to identify that they're trans, like that doesn't, like what is it that, What is it around queer and trans and sexuality that requires or makes people expect or demand a certain kind of unfair transparency, right? we're not telling everyone about our medical history in every single moment. So I'm not sure why anyone would be expected to do that. So even when we think about things like coming out of the closet or ideas around people needing to come out, I also want us to challenge that, you know, like nobody needs to come out like, and and often I think the idea is like, if we come out more, we'll be safer. But if people would work on their homophobia more, we'd be safer. And then we would do more things promise. You know, so it's also thinking about that sort of interplay. When we think about closets, I like to think about them as places where we store the multiplicities of our identities and a recognition that we don't have to take them all out all at once. You don't get dressed with all of your clothes every single day. You put on a thing for an event and you show a little bit of your person in that one space. And I think that if closets could be that, a place where we have different kinds of versions of ourselves that we express and manifest in different moments, then maybe it wouldn't feel like such a binding place. Let's keep with our traveliness. So this piece. Oh. So. This piece is powerful on so many different levels. And I think that some of the ideas that we were talking about before of like queer and trans relationships being around transformation and to be around the celebration of transformation is that these two partners began this relationship and then began transitioning to different genders through the process of that relationship. So they, one partner transitioned into a woman and, one, and another partner transitioned into a man and this happened at the same time and they documented the process of that. And that is beautiful, that is beautiful. Like, because I think that again, partnership has to be about committing to nurturing someone's greatest self. You know, like I wanna see you grow into the person that you want to grow in. I'm not committing to you as the person that you are now, I'm committing to the people that you wanna be, all the many places that you will grow into and I am giving you a promise to help, to watch, to bear witness, to the ways that you've learned to love yourself, the ways that you learn to find yourself and you dress yourself, like that's a beautiful gift to give to another person because so often our transformations are met with a lot of judgment. You know, I think that so often people want to hold you to the person that they knew you were and the person that makes them feel the most comfortable. But the only thing that we know for sure is that everything changes. Time will continue to pass and we will all continue to be different from the way we are in this exact moment. And why not watch it and make it beautiful? Why not watch this transition in all of our lives and the many different ways that we do this and actually just watch it be beautiful? So I really, this, this whole piece, I just thought, was just such a magnificent testament to the ways that we could love each other. And again, for me, queerness has always been about courageousness and the courageousness to pursue love and to challenge the ideas that we have been told about what gender and sexuality means and to go to an entirely new place just based on hope. It's like we don't even know what's gonna work out, but we just have a feeling that it's gonna be better than what we are doing that right now, you know? So that's a really, it's a powerful, and it continues out there when you take the chance and kind of go through and look at it. Um, so let's go around this way. We should. Oh, there's so many. Oh, I have so many feelings, y'all. Okay, but yes. Hey. Okay. Where are you for time? All right. So Like I said, I'm a super social media obsessed kind of person. Um, And the reason why I'm obsessed with social media is because I'm obsessed with the idea that our communities can now produce our own media and share it and send it around to each other. I'm obsessed with the idea that now it's really hard to keep a secret. It's really, really, really hard to keep information from everybody, because the moment that someone shares it, it has a possibility whole series in particular, I remember the moment I saw this video, um, and the, the remake of Countdown, and he did it in a Snuggie. Shh. When I saw that, <sighs> Alicia Lim is a Toronto-based artist and does this, had, has done this calendar on femmes and sissies, um, and I was really lucky to be in that calendar, and Alicia had approached me about it and, you know, had said, I'm always so inspired by your feminist as a sissy myself, you know? And I had never really thought about the interplay between fems and sissies. And I felt like this was such a great example of that, you know? That the sissies, the boys who never quite could perform masculinity in the ways that people were asking them to, have often found, those are, those are the boys I grew up with. <laughs> Those are the boys who I was totally always surrounded with. And I was like, I'll do your makeup. I'll totally do your makeup. And I will walk with you wherever you need to go to make sure that you're as safe as possible, you know? And I think that, again, like that connection with divas, like the Beyonce's and the Judy Garland's and the Elizabeth Taylor's, you know? There's a lot of feminine worship that happens in queer communities, in queerness, that doesn't necessarily happen in a lot of other spaces, where femininity is seen as like awesome and like radical and beautiful. And you want to do it, you know? like. You wanna, like, you're getting your whole life, your whole life, and then you made a video about it. That's really cute. You know, and I, I feel like most of us might not ever want to do that because of this idea of shame. And shame is a really intense thing, and is so often used against us in really awful ways, because shame isn't, shame isn't even like a tangible thing, but it can literally stop us from doing things we might really wanna do because in the idea that we might be made to feel ashamed for doing it. That even this little boy who was doing this, you know, he knew that that would generate that. That people were ashamed for him and were projecting, they were like, you should feel ashamed of yourself. And I want us to think about that when we see art with sissies in it. When you see that sissy boy and what does it mean to say things like you should feel ashamed of yourself? I don't think anyone really should feel ashamed of themselves, definitely not for like dancing. Like, definitely not for wearing a Snuggie. Like, there are some awful things that are happening, you know? Like, we could talk about, like, environmental degradation. We can talk about, like, those are some things you should feel ashamed about, but not any of this, you know? So I think that part of the ways that we encourage art like this to exist and to find it, even in places like YouTube, you know, is by challenging ourselves to not police bodies and to not perpetuate this idea of shame. Like, every time I see anyone in the world who is expressing an enormous amount of art on their bodies in any number of different ways, I will go out of my way to make sure that I affirm that because it can be so hard when you get dressed in the morning to be like, I just don't want anyone to say anything bad about this because I love what I'm wearing so much and I feel super great, just don't ruin it for me. So don't ruin it for us. (laughs) Tell people that they look great. You know, And I think again, there's many different ways in which gender gets performed and I don't think that there's one particular way of doing femininity, but just acknowledging this way, of, this, this sissy femme interplay I think is a cool thing. Um, let's be over here, just behind us. So, um, Vince Letty is an American music journalist and a New York photography critic and he has this collection of like thousands of images and you know he is really deeply interested in men um and again for me one of the thing i love about a lot of the art here is like the unabashedness of it like you're going really hard you really like boys get get it you know you like it i love it and i think that this sort of worship is awesome. This is awesome. This is so, so beautiful. And it's such a beautiful way of assemb- Like, I, have a- I love collage, and I love vision boarding, and I feel like his piece is one of those pieces that I think can also be one of- something that's very inspiring for other people, because it- I feel like it's something that you can go home and do, maybe, and you might. You know, like, what are you worshiping right now? Like, who are you really into? Um, And I also think that there are important conversations to have about the politics of desirability, right? Whose bodies get constructed as valuable? Whose Whose bodies get constructed as sexy? Um, whose bodies get uh, respected and idolized and like who gets sexualized in a particular kind of way, you know, because there's still those same intersections of race and class and gender that some bodies are going to get fetishized and some bodies are going to get valorized, you know? So I think that even when we're engaged in a process of worship and thinking about desire, we also have to think about how we learned to like what we like and what does that mean when, if we find ourselves liking the exact same things and or if we say like, I don't like this kind of... There's no kind of, you know? Like thinking about what it means for us to engage in our desire in a way that one honors it, but at the same time challenges it, you know? We should always be asking ourselves questions about like why we're into what we're into. But yeah. And then let's kind of, I kind of did a funny thing, I think, with this. Sorry, this piece. Um, Callop, again, I also saw their work as part of, um, sorry, I just really love it. It's really hard to not watch it. I'm like, I was totally just being into it and being distracted. Um, and also this is part of the 30 Americans uh, exhibit, you know, and I just really, Again, for me, there's an unabashedness, a way of challenging shame, a way of, and in particular, challenging a lot of respectability politics. You know, I think there's a very particular ideas of respectability that are placed on black folks, especially like black flamboyant folks. Um, and there are a lot of things that are being challenged here for me around ideas of like ghetto and like hood and like that sort of culture, you know? And I'm, I'm a girl who grew up in the hood. I still live in the hood. I live in the Bronx, y'all. Like it's it's real still um, and I recognize the hood as a site of innovation I recognize the hood as a site of like creation creativity like you can't tell me that this ain't fly you know and it was a girl in the hood and the Bronx who did this for me you know that I think that I love the ways that he is asking questions about that, about who gets to wear that and who gets to own that and what does it mean for us to, I feel like there's also challenging ideas of like, what is desirable and what is sexy about this and what is interesting and why are we watching? So you should definitely put the headphones on and get a little bit of a play in there with that. And then there's, a, there's the last little pieces in there. So let's, we're gonna do a funny thing again and go and go this way. Good, all right, we have like perfect timing. Tell you how much I love to go to art galleries like this all the time. It would be so awesome and great. Ah, so cool. Okay, lovely. All right, so few last little pieces in here and in this sort of room. So this is where that piece I was telling you about about the two lovers in transition, so it's just even a hot description, but it finishes off like the tail end of it ends up here. And if we just, if you look just behind us right here, this little wall. um, So one of the things that I really love about this and I think really important to talk about is that this um, this is a church street in Toronto, right? And there's so many things. One, so often, we don't get to learn about the history of the place that we're in, you know? Like when I was in school, I totally learned about the War of 1812, and I don't really, and I was like, I know wars happened for a while, but basically at a certain point, they stopped telling me things that were happening, and they never... That is a strange thing, it's a strange thing as a queer person who, you know, like, there were the, the bathhouse raids and the riots, you know. There have been, the Bathurston Bloor was the center for black political organizing in the 70s. You know, Yorkville used to be a place that was home to a whole community of people of color and artists and it was appropriated and gentrified and now it was like the richest place in the city, you know, like understanding the ways that our places have been politicized give us so much more, one, context to understand what, why they look like this today, but also give us a whole level of ownership, right? Like I felt like when I understood that Bathurst and Bloor was the center of black political organizing, I could walk through Bathurst and with a little bit of swagger and I was like, this is we all should feel comfortable here we made this place you know like there's a difference in understanding about the the politicization of a space and the queering of a space you know that knowing that like this was this was 1983 this piece and Knowing that, you know, we are, that we're not new. Like, it's not new. This is not new at all. And that people were negotiating relationships whether or not they were being acknowledged for doing so. Um, and that this was happening locally and place-based. Um, and again, for me, this is also... I, I often think about art as an invitation because I like to think about art as a conversation. You know, I'm, I'm not someone who thinks that um, you have to go to art school to be an artist. Because I didn't go to art school, I'm an artist. Um, I think that part of being an artist is allowing art to invite you to create something in response. You know, so I, I for me, this piece was even though it's small and relatively simple, felt like such a sweet invitation to document our place and space now. You know, like for you as all creative vessels in this world, what sort of message are you giving to 40 years in the future? Or 400 great, 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 great grandkids? And how are we going to pass on the legacy of queerness to them? You know, I feel like it took me a really long time to start to learn the language and figure it out. And it wasn't really until my 20s that I felt like I kind of understood how to talk about gender, maybe. A little bit, you know, and I'm always interested in what it would look like for us to give that gift to people younger and younger, you know, to give that language, to give that discourse, to give those stories. Like, would it be possible for five year olds to know that the church street was queer? Like, is it possible for eight year olds to have that conversation? Because I totally think it is, you know, and I totally think it can be a part of that, like, that it could be embedded into everything. Um, And then this is sort of perfect. We're so good for time. Look at us. Proud of us. Um, and so this this piece is also this piece is also a local piece. Colin Campbell um, and dangling by their mouth, and it's a full it's a full, it's a full video, no? It's the 60 minutes of the entire piece. Um, this I think I want to just create the space for people to like. It's like a nice long listen if you want to take the time in to do that. But I think it's always nice to have the sort of full length version of a piece like that to be able to play with. Um, but I wanted to, in general, sort of here at the end. You know, the the themes that Sophie was sharing with me about this were around. Oh no, you're not doing anything bad. You can totally walk through if you want to. You're not in trouble. <laughs> you're so not. It's so fine. Um, talked about the themes of of this of this exhibit. You know, in terms of uh, reinterpretation and appropriation and observation and the different ways in which that kind of art. Um, and the other thing that we also were about to talk about today, which was like, this is being like a beginning. And not even really a beginning, but maybe more like a middle. This is like, this is a happening that has happened before. Like on this landmass before, queer and trans and gender fluid bodies and kaleidoscope bodies have always been existing for hundreds of years. It's only happening. So we're seeing a, like, return back to a space of acknowledging that gender fluidity is real, and that people make art about it, and that people have been making art about it for hundreds of years, you know, and this art is necessary to this. And it's also happening all over the world. Um, And so that, for me, is something that's really exciting. To think about this as being like, again, like a return, like this is like a resurgence. And I think that things do move in cycles, but I'm also interested in how we blow open and create more space. And that's why, again, for me, I'm always going to connect it back to this process of like, what is the invitation to you? Right? Like, what is the art that you're going to make? And like, the... ...about it, like words or poetry. Whether it's taking a picture of you relating to this, you know? pictures are art. like I'm interested in the ways that you have creative responses to this because it absolutely depends on your engagement like that is what makes this alive and that is how the legacy of art continues it's not something that we want to just be observing in a very flat way like I want you to like feel it in you and reinterpret it and say something back to it or communicate something back to it because that is absolutely how we continue that conversation so yeah thanks y'all thank you for listening to this art Gallery of ontario podcast for additional recordings as well as information on upcoming programming and events please visit us online at agionet slash talks